In today's episode, I chat with Kyle Nickel, who has experienced divorce, bankruptcy, mental health issues, and so much more. He talks about starting over and shares tips from his new book on managing physical, mental health, and financial health, as well as sharing his personal story. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Welcome to the Mental Health and Wealth Show podcast. This is your host, Melanie Lockhart. My journey with money and mental health started in 2012 when I was depressed and anxious about my student loan debt. In 2013, I started my blog, Dear Debt, which chronicled my debt payoff journey and changed my life. I later published my book of the same name about how I paid off $81,000 in student loan debt. It was my time blogging that showed me that I wasn't alone in my mental health struggles around money and that my own mental health impacted how I related to money. My mission now is to help others feel less alone and tackle these difficult topics. As a disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional, and all content on the show should not be considered professional medical or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. If you are in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much for being here, and if you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform, and feel free to share episodes on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart. I would love to hear from you. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Kyle Nickel, who has spent more than two decades as a personal trainer and improved the lives of hundreds of people by helping them improve their physical health. As a survivor of severe mental illness and depression, he overcame his own personal demons and suicidal impulses to reclaim control of his life and emerge emotionally stronger than ever. As an entrepreneur and business owner during the height of the 2008 Great Recession, Kyle achieved rapid success in a highly competitive industry, then hit rock bottom financially, prompting him to completely overhaul his financial life and relationship with money. Today, as a performance mindset coach and speaker, Kyle teaches others how to better manage stress, improve their relationship with money, and overcome major challenges to achieve more control in their lives. I love it so much. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to glad to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you and chat about your new book. So you just wrote a book called Mind, Body, and Money, which I was so grateful to receive a copy of. Thank you so much. I appreciate you sending that over. And it's really about your personal story and how people can work on their financial, physical, and mental health in less than an hour a day, which I love how concrete and actionable that is. I think it's really important for people to have guidelines that are within reach. So can you tell me a little bit about what that process is and how people can get started? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, The book has really been, you know, something that I've been thinking about for, for a while now. And, you know, it's like, what, what better thing to do over the course of a pandemic than write a book? Right. So, but the core of the book is really this, this somewhat elusive, gnarly concept of control. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you ask somebody, you know, what is the one, if you could have more of one thing in your life, what, you know, and some say, 
well, you know, money, more money. Some people say more time. Some people might say, you know, just more freedom overall. But in my experience, my my personal experience, and certainly given what's gone on over the past few years, of course, with the pandemic and, and everything else, really the one thing that people could really use more of is just control, you know, control over everything in their life, you know, their, their thoughts, their emotions, their money, what have you. So I really kind of thought about that and I took my own personal experiences, uh, lots and lots of clients that I worked with at my businesses over the years and just came up with, how can I help people? How can I give people a plan to, to help them get more control and feel like they are in more control of these three really big things that, that tend to stress people out, you know, emotional health, physical health, uh, financial health. So I put together a program, literally uh, a routine, I should say, which I'm a very big fan of routines when it comes to, you know, control over your life and, and everything else. So it's really not rocket science. It's really not, but it's just, it's really, you know, putting them all together. It's physical exercise. It's deep breathing, meditation, and budgeting. And I know those three topics, you you know, a lot of people might be like, what do those three topics have to do with one another? But those three things really take aim directly at those three main sources of stress. So if we can kind of come up with a plan, come up with a routine that can help people address those things and they can do it in less than an hour a day, then I think, I think that would be really beneficial. So that's really what, what the whole idea is behind the book. I love that. And yeah, I think it's so important, you know, as someone who is a control freak and a lot of my <laughs> anxiety comes from the lack of control that we have, you know, you can't control what other people do. You can't control that there's a pandemic. You can't control so many things. It's really important for me to at least have a feeling of some control, even if a large part of life is out of my control. So, you know, you mentioned focusing on financial health, mental health, and physical health. So what is the breakdown of less than an hour a day? Like how many minutes are you spending on one thing compared to the other? Yeah. So, you know, generally speaking, I mean, a, a, a widely accepted for physical exercise on a daily basis is 30 minutes. So the routine that I've put together consists of 30 minutes exercise, you know, and again, we're talking less than an hour. So, you know, 30, 35 minutes. I mean, we're not talking exact numbers, but Anywhere between 30, 35, even 40 minutes, but a minimum of 30 minutes a day, right? Um, 
10 minutes of just some quiet, focused, deep breathing. And what I mean by deep breathing, I go into it in the book, is specifically uh, diaphragmatic deep breathing, which is really a kind of a special technique uh, to address emotional stresses. And then literally 10 minutes of focusing on a budget and cross-referencing a budget. And in the book, I kind of walk people through how to put or design a monthly budget. Lots of people have heard about the importance about budgeting. Um, a lot of people know, certainly if they listen to your podcast, they probably know the importance of budgeting. So it really does not take more than an hour to address these three things. And, you know, if, if people can kind of put those, those three things together, 30 minutes, 10 minutes, and another 10 minutes of budgeting, I mean, I know what it's done for me, put it that way. And, you know, I have faced more than my share of emotional and financial stress. So this type of routine, focusing on these three things, has really benefited me, and I have to think it would would benefit a lot of other people as well. So that's that's kind of the breakdown. Thanks so much for sharing that. I appreciate you sharing an actionable guide for people to get started and to really focus on these three areas that cause so many people stress. And for people that are listening who are like, I don't have time for this. This seems like a lot. You know, I just want to say in personal finance, we have this concept of pay yourself first, right? Set money aside for future you off the top of your paycheck before doing anything else. And I'm starting to think for mental health, we need to start putting ourselves first. It's like paying yourself first, but with our time. And so before you check the email, before you get to work, before you do things for everybody else, it's so important that you take time for you because then it just feels like your day is just living for other people. And this is one way that you can focus on health and wellness in a variety of facets in your life. And it's just a small investment. And just like you invest your money, this is investing in your physical and mental and financial health. And I, I love the rubric. And, you know, you mentioned you faced your fair share of uh, financial and emotional hurdles and turmoil, which you mentioned in the book. And so in the book, you said that you tried drugs in college, you later got married and divorced, you filed for bankruptcy. You know, that's a lot for people to handle. And I'm curious, how did these things affect your financial and mental health? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the whole thing with, with the drugs in college, I mean, it certainly started out innocently enough. But uh, it unfortunately progressed to the point where I kind of recognized that that it was becoming a, a real issue um, and had a, a couple episodes that really were pretty terrifying. So um, so that that's that part of it. Um, the you know, the the marriage and the divorce and the bankruptcy, I mean, 
you know, it certainly didn't help that those things were kind of happening around the same time or very close to about the same time. So, you know, in terms of how how those affected my financial health and mental health, I mean, you know, it was pretty, pretty profoundly. Um, certainly when you're talking about divorce, there are financial implications there. You have attorney's fees and everything else. And if that wasn't bad enough, there there was a the situation with my divorce specifically at that at the time of the divorce, I owned two brick and mortar businesses. And one was doing really well and the other one well. So long story short, the divorce had was was kind of dragging on and so my my ex-wife and and her attorney thought it would be a good idea to kind of make a claim for part ownership of my first location which was doing really well because that was considered a marital asset and I go into this in a little bit more detail in the book but in order for me to expedite this divorce process, which again was just seemed like it was dragging on forever, I had to, or I made the decision to offer his wife a pretty of a retirement account that I had slowly built up over time. So, you know, made that offer to to her and her attorney. Um, they quickly agreed to that. And that was really the thing that kind of pushed the divorce process to its conclusion. So when you ask about, you know, how did it affect me financially? You know, pretty profoundly. I mean, it made, you know, it really took a chunk out of my retirement. Of course, there was attorney's fees. So everything, it was a pretty, pretty, expensive, uh, costly situation. Um, you know, as far as the mental health, obviously, as you might imagine, I mean, divorce is, it's certainly, you know, not, not to go through. My two kids were, were young, there was shared parenting and everything else. So there was impacts to them and everything else. So it was just, uh, pretty trying time financially and, uh, and mentally, um, you know, the, the bankruptcy, obviously there are tangible and financial implications there, but think about the bankruptcy. It was almost more, the impact was more for me personally on the mental side of things, because, you know, I had to come to the realization that I, I had failed or at least it felt like I, you know, with, with being an entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, I had to kind of reconcile that. And over time, obviously that got a little better, but when I filed for the bankruptcy, it was like, you know, here you are two businesses and now you are a complete failure. So, um, so yeah, those were pretty profound effects mentally and, you know, emotionally and financially. So, 
Thanks so much for sharing your personal story. And I want to talk a little bit about your divorce and the financial implications and then move on to the bankruptcy um, in a second. But I just want people to hear this story because, you know, divorce can be quite expensive. And if you're going through that, you are absolutely not alone. Many people, unfortunately, are financially devastated by the impacts of divorce. People have to pay alimony. People have to pay child support. I urge you to understand if you're in a community property state where assets can be split. I know that's the case in California um, where I live. There are so many things to think about with marriage and divorce. And yeah, if, if there's a business owner in part of the marriage, ooh, they can come after part of your business. This is very right. important to know. And I just want people to understand. And I know I'm a unique person in the sense that I'm like not a big fan of the idea of traditional marriage just because I think it can harm so many people. And I've just seen so many people get hurt by the divorce process, but 50% of people get divorced right now. And yes. I would say if health insurance and money were not issues, I bet you that would be way more, probably like 75%. I mean, this is just me making numbers up. So don't quote me on that, but that's just my hypothesis that a lot of people stay together because of money or because of health insurance. But we know 50% of people get divorced. That is a wild statistic. Like, I can't imagine many other scenarios. We're like, mm, I have a 50% chance of working out. Like, well, we'll see. Like, <laughs> you know, there's like, it's just, it's so high. And I'm only mentioning this because everyone wants to believe that they're the unicorn, that that will never happen to me, that we said forever, that things won't change trust me, like I've been in a long-term partnership that I thought was forever too. We never legally married, you know, based on my beliefs, like I just said. And thank goodness, because separating after nine years was already incredibly difficult. But there are so many things that can happen over the course of a marriage or partnership. And I just want to say the person that you marry is not the person that you divorce. <laughs> And what I mean by that is the person that you fall in love with is not the person that you're going to see in a courtroom or with an attorney. Like people change and the people that start arguing over money, wanting your assets, like you're going to be like, who are you? This is not the person I fell in love with. And so it can be a very dramatic and traumatic time for people who you know, heartbreak and grief are already part of the process, but then there's this legal component of splitting assets, potentially paying alimony and or child support. I mean, it can be a mess. And I just want to share that with people because a lot of people are scared of the idea of prenups or postnups or trying to protect yourself in some way. And I'm talking about men and women here. I think each party should protect themselves. I mean, we have car insurance. We wear seat belts. You know, no one drives their car thinking, I'm going to get into a car accident, but you still have car insurance and you still wear your seatbelt. So I'm just urging people to protect themselves and their finances as much as possible because we all want to believe that we're the unicorns and that that would never happen to us. But 
I'm just stating this right now because I'm at the age right now where a lot of people in my age group are starting to get divorced. And it's like very clear that, oh, wow, this is the age where a lot of people <laughs> are starting to, uh, you know, divorce and, and uncouple. And you see that up front. And, you know, I see a lot of people saying, I wish I would have got a prenup. I wish I would have done this. I, I, you know, and hindsight is 2020. And those love chemicals will <laughs> make you think a lot of things. So <laughs> I'm just, you know, sharing this story because divorce is so painful for so many people and no one gets married thinking they're going to get divorced. Like I said, with 50% statistics, no one's going to get married thinking that, but then like the statistics show that there's a high likelihood. So all I'm saying is people should protect themselves as much as possible. Like what would you do if you had to do it over again? Well, you know, with my situation, my dad was a, for a large part of his life, he was an investment broker. So he, it was his idea talking to him one day. And, you know, I would always give him like regular updates on. And he's like, you know, Kyle, he's like, why don't you just offer her the balance in your IRA and see if she'll take that and just see if that'll end the divorce. And I'm like, dad, are you out of your mind? I'm like, you're an investment advisor, dad. You're telling me to do this. So he's like, don't worry about it. He's like, you know, you're, you have plenty to make that up and like, okay. So literally, you know, that same day I reached out to my attorney and, you know, not, not to turn this whole thing into a, a conversation about divorce, but um, yeah. So I just floated that to my attorney floated that to her attorney and it was pretty ironic how quickly everything came to an end but in terms of what I would do differently I mean I really don't know I don't know that I would do anything differently I mean you know it just over the course of being married 14 15 years you know people change and every relationship is a two-way street. I mean, there's two lanes. Everybody has to accept their part. I don't want to say blame, but part of the responsibility for making the relationship work. So look, it sounds cliche, but everything you go through in life, every experience you have in life, whether it's positive or negative, Hopefully you learn from that. Hopefully you grow from that. And, you know, it really shapes the person that you become and the way you approach other crises in your life, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I just want to, you know, revisit paying a big chunk of your retirement to your ex-wife. And, you know, it sounds so wild, but... Also, there's this thing about, I don't want to drag this out any longer. I want to pay for my peace. And I think yeah. that's a very important part of it to consider. Like, 
yes, the numbers are important, you know, having this financial stability, you know, a nest egg for your future. But at some point you're like, I need my emotional peace. I need to move on. And I just want to share, I read Open Book by pop singer Jessica Simpson for the girlies that grew up in the early 2000s. Um, and you guys might remember she was married to Nick Lachey, another pop singer. And apparently Nick was more successful than she was when they got married and he asked for a prenup and she said, no, she was offended. No, no, no. How could you? They still got married. Well, guess what? Years later, when she wanted a divorce, she was more successful than he was and she had to pay him a lot of money. (laughs) And (laughs) apparently her dad which was her manager was like, we can't pay him all this money. What are you doing? And she's like, just pay him the money. I want to move on. And that was such a beautiful moment in the book because it's like the irony of life. Like she was so offended by this idea of a prenup because, you know, he was more successful than her. The tables have turned and then she had to end up paying him. But she was like, I just want to pay him and move on. Right. And I think sometimes you make those financial decisions so you can get emotional peace. And, um, you know, while I didn't go through a traditional divorce, like I said, I I ended a partnership of nine years. And for the year and a half, two years before we ended that partnership, I was paying for most of the rent and the bills. And When the relationship ended, I harbored a lot of resentment and anger about how much I contributed and how much I paid for this person. And, you know, I was working through this anger and resentment in therapy. And it was just like white hot anger and resentment, like eating me alive. And my therapist, and I I, I like knew the number, like I, I could have had X more dollars in my investments and X more dollars in my savings. And I could be way further ahead if this didn't happen, like blah, blah, blah. And she was like, Melanie, but you got out. Mm -hmm. At least you stopped the bleeding right now and you got out. You have your peace. And that was such a wonderful reframe for me because I was just obsessed with the number that I paid extra to cover this person who could have ideally paid for themselves. And, you know, and then I also had to take responsibility of like, why did I let that happen for so long? You know, like you said, there's two parties and that's really the difficult part in therapy when you start doing the real work about like, what did I contribute to this demise? And, oh yeah, I I did let that happen for quite a long time. And maybe I did financially enable this person. And you know, that's really hard to sit with, but that's a lot of information, but I just want people to consider all of these (laughs) things because I think sometimes big life events like marriage, divorce, layoffs, whatever, they have a big financial cost, but sometimes it's worth it in order for your peace. I also want women and men to protect themselves financially. If you're going to be in a marriage, which I personally think is like a business partnership, So, you know, protect yourself. But anyways, let's talk about real business. So you had a business and I think your story for bankruptcy is unique because your bankruptcy was related to your business. So for our self-employed folks out there, what were some quote mistakes you feel that you made and how did you know it was time to file for bankruptcy? Yeah, I actually had 
you know, it's it, that's the other part of it that was really difficult with the the bankruptcy because I had option of my in the late twenties. I was I've always been very diligent about money, very diligent and focused on investing and focused on saving uh, money. Again, with the exception of my early to mid twenties, but. So yeah, I had, um, I had, like I said, I had two businesses uh, at any given time, probably had 10 to 12 staff that I was overseeing and everything that goes with two brick and mortar businesses, payroll, you know, rent, taxes, everything else. So, you know, like I had said earlier, the first location that I, and um, that went really well and it went really well from you know almost right away the second location that i opened did not go as well so you know when you're asking about mistakes um you know i could very easily look back and say you know geez kyle why did you open that second location you know, I, I don't think that was the mistake. I think what the what my mistake was, and it's funny because I literally just um, got done with an interview yesterday for a website, and the main question that I was being asked is, what sets successful entrepreneurs apart. And one of the things that I mentioned was, you know, and this really plays into your question here, you know, I think my my big mistake or my big oversight was thinking that I could take um well, actually, a couple of things now that I think of it, thinking that I could take what we had done at my first location and just kind of plug and play in my second location and everything would just be great. And, you know, prior to the second location, um, we ran the demographics um, and it it really came back as a as a very strong, strong demographic place to to put the business but i just couldn't get traction i couldn't get the traction you know and the you know everything else that that was going well at the first location i couldn't get that to happen at the second location so um i think that was probably a mistake i think um underestimating and I, and I mentioned this in the book because it's, it's really the truth. It's, you know, I was thinking, okay, how much harder is it going to be opening a second location? I mean, you know, it's probably going to increase my stress level by 50%. And what I found out was it increased my stress level by about 150%. So um, that was probably my biggest oversight was maybe being a little overly confident. I, I certainly wasn't cocky, but 
I was, you know, just making an assumption that the second location would would do great as well. Um, so that was probably the biggest uh, mistake slash oversight in my experience. But, you know, when when did I come to the conclusion that bankruptcy was the only option? I mean, I was just, it, it had just gotten to the point where the expenses and everything else were just getting to be overwhelming. So it was really, I was trying to like convince myself that there's no way that you're going to file for bankruptcy. It's like, you and bankruptcy don't go together. They're just, they're two concepts that don't, you know, I I couldn't even think, I couldn't even imagine it, but I had to eventually just kind of like wave the white flag and say, okay, I've got to get out. I've got to get out of this and I've got to move on with my life. And, you know, so really when that decision was made so thanks so much for sharing yeah i think it's very hard because as a business owner you want to believe that you have a greater mission and that things are going to work out and you know especially with a brick and mortar location or a business with a lot of expenses i mean that can add up very quickly and then if it starts to feel overwhelming yeah at some point you're going to have to figure it out or or get out. And I can imagine how the bankruptcy made you feel. And, you know, I'm sure there was so many feelings that you were having. Can you share a little bit more about that? Well, yeah. I mean, for me, the bankruptcy equal failure. That's in my head, that's what it meant. Um, it meant nothing else. Like I, I didn't even care at that point what a bankruptcy on your credit record, I couldn't even care about that, you know, or I, I couldn't have cared less about that. Um, at that point, it was just sort of like this blow to, I don't want to say my ego, but a blow to my confidence and, Um, that was really, like I said, you know, earlier, it wasn't even the financial ramifications for me. It was more of the, the emotional part of it as, you know, kind of signifies the fact that, you know, you successful business owner, you're a failure and, and everything else. So that was, that was the biggest thing, but You know, the other thing about the bankruptcy that really um, I I had reached and I again, I kind of talk about it in the book a little bit is the bankruptcy really opened my eyes to how little and this all this all goes back to this concept of control, um, how much I really controlled you know, in my life, um, you know, the, the, the banks, the government, because I had a couple SBA loans, they can, you know, they can, or at least it felt like they could take 
literally everything that they wanted. Okay. I was fortunate that I was never in a situation where they, um, where I had my, my wages garnished. That never happened, but, um, I had a, um, I had a car repossessed my bankruptcy attorney. Um, yeah. How many people do you know that have had divorce attorneys and bankruptcy attorneys, right? I am officially done with attorneys, uh, as, as far as I'm able to, uh, able to control. So, but, you know, it just really opened my, you know, how much I really owned, how much I really controlled because once you file for bankruptcy, like all bets are off. I mean, they can essentially, or at least it felt like anything that I quote unquote owned could be taken from me. So, um, so yeah, that was pretty eye opening and really, really scary. You know, at one point, gosh, at one point I had three liens on my home. Oof. Uh, yeah, I had I had I had a mortgage, right? Personal mortgage, which you know, lots of people have, and I had two business liens on it as well. So, um, and that was just like, oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose everything here. They're gonna take the house, but fortunately, I was able to you know, work, work my way through that to, to the point where I'm at now. So yeah, it's scary stuff. That's for sure. So. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to the mental health and wealth show. I wanted you to pause real quick and take a mindful minute, close your eyes and take a deep breath and exhale. Take a deep breath again and exhale. Taking a moment for yourself is so important for your mental health. Now, before we get back to the show, I just wanted to say, if you are enjoying this episode, please review the podcast and share it on social media and tag me at Melanie Lockhart and share your thoughts. It'll really help spread the word about the show and help others with their money and mental health. You can also support this independent podcast and buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lagert. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a financial rock bottom. And, you know, you're definitely not alone. Many people have been there, but it's so scary when you're going through that and you feel like it's something that could never happen to me. And I think that's what's so important about financial management and mental health management is that a lot of times we think this could never happen to me and then it does. <laughs> and it is very, very painful. And I think we all have this idea of how we want our life to go or what we think will happen. And then life has other plans and that's where so much of the pain can come in. And that's why it's so important to protect yourself as much as possible and know what you can control and know what you can't control. But 
No, you had quite a glow up after, you know, hitting financial rock bottom. You have been able to pay off your mortgage. Is that correct? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did. And while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, to myself, it's just, it's so ironic because as much anguish and stress and fear as that bankruptcy kind of instilled in me, it also prompted me to, I can, I literally can remember it like it was yesterday. Like I, I was just sitting on my couch one day and I'm, I'm like, you know, you've got to get more control. There's that word again, right? Control. You've, you've got to get more control over your money. You need to get serious. And it's not like I wasn't serious, but you know, there's nothing like a bankruptcy to really give of those, oh, you know what moments that prompt you to kind of change a lot of things that you're doing. So yeah, you know, I, I just, I, I really kind of just really focused on what I was doing financially. And, you know, it got to the point after the bankruptcy, I was so just, I was so done with banks. I was so done with credit cards. Like I I was just finished with it. So I just made it a point to, and I wanted to protect my house too. It's like, okay, I had those three liens on the house. I've got to protect my house. I've got to own my house outright. So, you know, I'm fortunate that I've got a great job, full-time job in a sales capacity. So I just threw every extra dollar that I possibly could at the mortgage. And I paid it off August of, no, July of 2021. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So that was, that was a really good feeling. So it's like, you know, the bankruptcy was a blessing and a curse at the same time. So, um, you know, it was a wake up call and it was scary, but it also got me super, super focused. Yeah. This is a perfect example of, you know, having a rock bottom and then being able to turn that into focus and drive towards something else. I mean, I had to make 10 to $12 an hour and be on food stamps and get so tired of my own bullshit that I was like, something has to change. And, you know, that's when I started the blog, I started side hustling, I started writing and, you know, it was my self-employed writing career that helped me pay off my debt. But I didn't even know that was a career until I started my blog. It wasn't until I hit rock bottom that I started Googling, how do people get out of debt? And I discovered blogging. And, (laughs) you know, sometimes you have these things that happen that feel like this is the worst moment in my life. This is going to brand me as a failure forever. How am I ever going to get out of this? But if you can sit through that discomfort, major things can happen and that can be the driving force towards beautiful and amazing change in the future. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about 
exercise. So a big part of your book is about how exercise has shaped your life. And many people know that exercise is good for mental and physical health, but what we don't often correlate it to is finances. So I'm curious, what relationship do you think exercise and finance have? Yeah, well, you know, I, um, my two businesses were in the health and fitness industry. And it's just, you know, that fitness is, is something that I've been very passionate about for a very long time. And for the book, I drew on some, a lot of experiences that I had with clients at my businesses. You know, these were people who the vast majority of them were professionals, highly successful, um, above average often way above average income earners. You know, those were our clients. And I would do the consultations with them. And we would sit in my office and they would just, they would talk about, you know, their goals and their their physical health. And, and, you know, ostensibly they were coming in to my businesses to improve their physical health, right? But during the consultations, other things would come out. Their physical health, often their issues with their physical health were impacting other areas of their lives, um, their emotional health, and oftentimes their financial health too. So I joked around a little bit um, I can't remember if I put this in a book or not. I don't think, but it's like, I was thinking maybe my next book will be about all of the stories that I heard owning my, my two businesses, but it became very clear to me that physical health, emotional health and financial health are linked. I mean, if you, if you think it, if you step back and you kind of view it in more of a holistic manner. Um, if one of those things is off, if you're having issues with your physical health, oftentimes that's going to affect your emotional health. And if you're having problems with your emotional health, then it's not that much of a stretch to make the connection that that is potentially affecting your financial health as well, right? So, you know, I, I firmly believe that those three things, if they're working well and if they're strong, then, you know, I kind of view them as, you know, links in a chain. If one of them is rusting and getting weak, then it's going to affect the other ones. You know, the other thing too is, and not, not to get too much into neuroscience and, and physiology, which believe me, in my, my background, I had to get into, into a lot of that. But when you exercise, a lot of people are familiar with the term endorphins, right? Runners high, everything else. Well, you know, when you exercise, you're generating 
what neurotransmitters are one transmitter. Dopamine, which is another one that a lot of people have heard about. Um, so these neurotransmitters, when when you're exercising, they elicit feelings of pleasure, calm. Um, there's been a lot of research on the obviously the benefits of exercise, but these neurotransmitters. And they've also been shown to boost things like mental clarity and motivation, learning. So, you know, obviously you're exercising and, and you're, you're generating these neurotransmitters. I mean, you think about some of those benefits that I just mentioned. I mean, do you think that feelings of calm, mental clarity, motivation, learning, do you think those can have an impact on your emotional health and your financial health as well? So that's why I feel pretty strongly that those three things are very very closely connected. And, you know, I would, I would argue that with anybody. So. Thanks so much for sharing. Yeah. I think, you know, there are so many correlations and so much to think about there. Um, one of the other tools that you mentioned in the book is deep breathing. How has this tool helped you in times of stress? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's been invaluable. I mean, it's to the point where, you know, I wish I had started doing it decades ago, but I really only started focusing on deep breathing and meditation really just, you know, a few years ago. So I make it a point um, every day to take at least 10 minutes and go to a separate part of my house, a quiet part of my house and perform deep breathing in minutes. And I talk about it in the book. Um, I mean, literally the first time I did it, I felt just a complete, it just felt, I don't even know what better way to put it. It just felt amazing. Like I literally felt all the stress and all the tightness in my body just kind of disappeared. So, you know, it's gotten to the point where if there is a rare instance when I'm not able to, to perform the deep breathing, like I, I know, I feel it. I literally feel a little off. I feel different. I feel a little more stressed out, feel a little bit more uptight. So yeah, for me, it's, for me, it's a vital and very, you know, it's just part of my day anymore. So, and like I said, I wish I would have started years ago, but um, yeah. And, 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 you know, that's why, that's why I make it a point to talk about it in the book. So yeah, deep breathing can really calm your nervous system when you're dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety. And for people who want a resource, 
Jason Vitug did a breathwork session for the Mental Health and Wealth Summit, and we have that digital download available for purchase. It is amazing. You can also find free apps on Insight Timer and other resources and just really practice deep breathing. But it is amazing what you can do just with your own breath to calm your nervous system. Love that tip. Um, I'm also curious. So in the book, you say you eat the same things every week. (laughs) And I was like, what is it? What do you eat? And so I'm curious how that helps you. And also, what do you actually eat? I'm so nosy. (laughs) You know, you know, it's so funny. It's when I was writing about this in the book, I literally was laughing because I'm like, you know, Kyle, these people are going to think you are completely crazy. Um, So, you know, part of my background is, and this was a long time ago, I competed in uh, natural bodybuilding shows. So drug-free, drug-tested bodybuilding shows. And, you know, part of that preparation involved, obviously, very strict dieting, very strict nutrition plan, and that type of thing. So, you know, this type of thing, sort of being regimented and with, with my eating, kind of ingrained in me. But the other part of it is when I was thinking about it, I mean, it has so many other benefits. And and look, the truth is, I know it's not for everybody. Let me just say this, okay? So just so your listeners don't think I am completely nuts. um, Five days a week, I'm pretty regimented with what I eat. And then I I typically let loose a little bit on the weekends if I want to. So let me just put that out there. So nobody thinks I'm a complete uh, maniac. But the truth of the matter is some of you know the other benefits, it's not just the nutritional benefits of being regimented and eating, you know, quote unquote, the right foods during the week. You know, for me, it's also it's more efficient. It's less time consuming. Um, When I go to the grocery store, which I have to admit, I am not a big fan of going to the grocery store. I kind of joke around in the book that when I go to the grocery store, I am like the guy who's like pushing the cart the fastest because I know exactly what I want. I know exactly what I'm going to buy. And I kind of want to get out. Of, I want to get out of there as soon as I can. But the other place or the other area that it it benefits me is budgeting. Think about it. You know your groceries, and certainly now with the cost of groceries. I mean, everybody knows the cost of eggs right now, right? Um, yeah. You know, if you're working on a budget and you're working off of a budget. Groceries for most people, groceries are going to represent a very large part of their budget, right? So eating the same thing, and again, I don't eat the exact same thing. I kind of rotate through different meals during the week. But what that helps me do is I pretty much already know what I'm going to spend every single month on groceries. You know, it only varies by $25, $30 a month. 
because I pretty much buy the same stuff every time I go to the grocery store. So, you know, there's just multiple benefits for me personally, you know, the, the physical benefits from eating well, the time, the efficiency in terms of time at the grocery store, and also the financial part of it, the budgeting part of it. So um, in terms of what, what exactly I eat, I mean, yeah, I tell me, <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I'm curious, <laughs> you know, I, it, it's funny because you, you know, it, <laughs> everybody's different. Right. So, I mean, I, I kind of hesitate to like make, you know, and I know you're not asking me for recommendation, that type of thing. I think generally what people need to adopt when it comes to, and this is like my nutrition lesson for part of our, the podcast here, um, more people could derive pleasure by eating foods that they knew were benefiting them as opposed to solely eating foods because they taste good, then we'd probably be in a lot better shape as a society than we are now. Do you follow me? So Yeah, I do. You know, yeah, to answer your question, like I've always I've always been able to derive pleasure from knowing what I eat is benefiting me physically. And don't get me wrong, I love eating. Okay. I love eating. I love trying new foods, you know, on the weekends, right? Like I said. But, you know, we just generally speaking, we need to be able to derive pleasure from putting good, healthy food in our bodies as much, if not more, than just the way the food tastes, deriving pleasure solely from the way food tastes. Did that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a really important reframe. And yeah, I'm just so curious, you know, what you're eating as someone that's fitness minded and cares about fuel. And, you know, something that I'm trying to change is, yeah, like you said, like, I don't want to just be emotionally eating or eating because things taste good, but, you know, something that can heal my body. And, you know, I've discussed on this podcast before that last year I was diagnosed with celiac disease. So I can no longer eat gluten, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which includes bread, pasta, a bunch of stuff. And so I'm learning how to eat differently and I'm so bored with the foods I'm eating. So I'm like, <laughs> what are you eating? Maybe I can be less bored. <laughs> well, you, know, you know, it's, 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 you mentioned celiac disease. I've never been tested for that, but over the past couple of years, probably two to three years, I've really made a conscious effort to eat less gluten-based foods as well. And I just feel better when I eat, you know, if I'm going to eat a, eat breads or pastas, I pretty much exclusively choose gluten-free options. And the main reason is because I just, I digest them easier. Um, and it's just, I feel better. So I don't know if that's an indication that I might. You might be gluten intolerant. Yeah. A lot of people yeah, are gluten yeah. intolerant. Yeah. Um, celiac is a bit of a step above, but yeah, a lot more people are gluten intolerant 
or just have straight up celiac than, you know, they know about, like took me forever to get a diagnosis because people just, you know, think it's a bunch of different things. And, you know, I had to beg my doctor for a food allergy test because I was like, I have so much symptoms that are affecting my daily life, my work, my energy, like, please. And, you know, so. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, I mean, I could talk about nutrition forever, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I mean, those are, you know, certainly benefits. And I mean, I'm in such a routine now with, with what I eat that I don't even really think about it, you know, particularly, like I said, during the week, it's just for me eating during the week. Um, it's almost like, okay, it's almost like part of my routine. It's not like a big deal during the week, but like I said, on the weekends, if, I want to go, you know, a little wild. I allow myself to do that. But then on Monday, it's right back to, to my plan. So what do you typically have for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, if you're willing to share? Yeah, sure. So um, I generally, during the week, I will eat literally, I rotate. There's that word again. Um, I rotate between literally two different things. It'll usually be eggs with some avocado and some gluten-free bread. That typically kind of comprises one of those meals. And then the other meal is a protein shake, which, um, Melanie, if I told you the stuff that I put in this protein shake, you would definitely think I'm completely crazy. But um, (laughs) this protein shake recipe has kind of evolved over the years. But I'll tell you a few of the things I I put in and you're probably going to think, oh, my God, that sounds awful. Your listeners are going to be like, "Ugh, this sounds terrible. But if it works for you. (laughs) So I use a a good plant-based protein powder, which is really the foundation of the smoothie or the shake, whatever, however you want to refer to it. So it's plant-based protein powder, frozen fruit, mainly berries, you know, raspberries, blueberries, um, no fruits that are like kind of super high in sugar. I also put in a a supplement called um, Amazing Grass, which that is a specific brand and it's one that I use. It's one that I love. So there's a little plug for Amazing Grass. Some psyllium husk fiber. Um, What else? I'm kind of forgetting what else I put in there. I put in half of an avocado Uh, which, you know, again, you're probably thinking frozen fruit, protein powder, and an avocado. That just does not sound right. No, Um, it does. I've actually (laughs) done something like that. I love smoothies. (laughs) And I also, what else goes in there? Um, Organic pumpkin, which is a good source of fiber. Ooh, yes. I love pumpkin. Yeah. Good source of clean carbohydrates. 
I put in some fresh kale, organic kale. Oh, I just bought some kale this morning. Okay, there you go. Um, some plant-based yogurt. And, oh, and I also just recently got a really awesome, it's like a, it's a carrot turmeric juice from Trader Joe's, which I am completely addicted to now. And th that Ooh. goes in there as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Love it. If you, yeah, if you were to look at all of this in the blender, when it's sitting in the blender, you would be like, there's no way I'm drinking this. But once you blend it up and it kind of turns into this purplish green color, so it's a little bit more uh, palatable. And it, you know what? I taste great. So those are literally the two meals that I rotate for breakfast. I literally had the shake a couple hours before you, you and I started talking. So, um, and again, I know how I feel eating those things. It doesn't take me a long time to pre prepare. For me, there's just a lot of benefits to keeping nutrition simple and keeping my eating simple during the week. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think smoothies are a great way to add additional fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds that, you know, otherwise are hard to eat. Like I love having a bunch of plant points, um, you know, stuck in that smoothie because it's really hard to eat so much of that in like one day. But if you put oh, yeah. six different things in a smoothie, it's pretty easy to digest. So love Absolutely. that tip. Thank you so much for sharing. Sure. Um, last question. So what would be your advice for someone who is struggling in all three areas of physical health, mental health, and financial health, and they're not sure where to start? Yeah. So what I think is, is a really important thing for people to do. Um, the beginning of the year is, you know, people are setting New Year's resolutions and everything else. And believe me, you know, my training studios... January was a very, very busy month in my training studio. So, you know, the beginning of the year, everybody's setting resolutions. They're doing some self-reflection. They're setting goals, personal goals, and that type of thing. I think what, what people need to do, and, you know, sometimes it's it can be a little disconcerting, but I think it's very important. And, you know, I still, I do it, is to to kind of do like a, what I call a self inventory. And what I mean by that is take some time, you know, and just kind of sit back, you know, go somewhere, go to a quiet room in your house, go to a coffee shop, sit in a corner in a coffee shop and just kind of take stock of where you're at in your life. I know that sounds like a big sort of daunting task, but I think it's important. You need to think about how do you feel physically? How are you feeling emotionally, you know, from a, from a stress standpoint? And how are you doing financially? Can you be doing better? Can I be doing better. 
And I think that's a key question people have to ask themselves. Should I be doing better? And can I do better? I think that's a very important step. And, and you know, you, you have to be honest with yourself. You know, I, I do it a lot. Um, what can I be doing to prove? Because everybody can improve in some capacity. Okay, I don't, you know, I don't care if you're Bezos. I don't care if you're, you know, um, just throw the name out there. You know what I'm saying. Everybody can do better in some capacity. There's always room for improvement. So doing that self-inventory and being honest with yourself, I think is a really, I think it's vital. I think it's a just a super important step if you want to improve in any capacity. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people need to figure out where they're at and where they want to go and start doing things differently because, you know, whatever situation we're in now, if we keep doing the same thing, like we're not going to get different results. And I think, you know, your mind, body, money framework of doing things for less than an hour a day, focusing on your physical health, your mental health and financial health is definitely an amazing start for people. So thanks so much for sharing that resource. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, this has been such an amazing conversation. And so I wanted to let people know where can they find you and where can they purchase your book? Yeah, so the best way, the book is on Amazon. But um, if you went right to Amazon, you could go to books and just type my name, Kyle Nickel, and it will probably be, it should be, the first thing that pops up. Um, you'll see the book there. Or you can go to my website, which is my name with a hyphen in between Kyle and Nickel. So it's kyle-nickel.com and you can learn more about me and what the book is about, my background, sign up for my e-news. And if you want to sign up for uh, text alerts as well. So. Perfect. Thank you so much. Definitely check his new book out and all of his materials. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Melanie. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.